0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first,
1: talking about real estate. You know, U.S. citizens are now buying up recreational properties And there is a bit of a rush to get that so-called cabin in the woods right here in the great white north. Well, really, we're talking about second homes, maybe not necessarily cabins in the woods. But this is all ahead of the new federal restrictions on foreign buyers coming up in the next couple of years. So there is one sector in that big real estate picture that is looking a lot different and to talk a little bit about that this morning is Pauline Anjou with Royal LePage Advantage Real Estate. Uh, good morning, Pauline. Thanks for uh, joining us.
2: Good morning, Bruce. It's great to be here.
1: Well, it's great to be here indeed. Uh, and thanks uh, on a Friday when, uh, you know, we've got the weekend uh, ahead of us. Many of us uh, thinking about uh, relaxing and doing that sort of thing. Americans, it turns out take a look at us uh, as a place for recreational property. Well, that's the place to get away on the weekend. Uh, What's going on there?
2: Well, and especially in British Columbia, which of course has some of our great ski regions. So when we looked at, you know, we talked about what happened to house prices across Canada in 2022, but the star of it was, of course, recreational property, which um had you know great numbers even um in a changing market um but with that came the federal announcement in april that there's going to be you know uh, a foreign ta- ban of foreign ownership for 2 years and what it did was obviously stimulate uh us citizens and so the ones that we took a survey of were in the 17 uh, states that border Canada. And, uh, you know, what they did was they rushed out (laughs) to purchase their recreational property before that January 1st, 2023 deadline.
1: And the thing that caught me by surprise in taking a look at this uh, uh, Royal LePage found out that around 75% of U.S. citizens living in those 17 states you talked about who currently own recreational property, three quarters of them got it uh, recently, right?
2: Right, after the April 7th announcement. So um, so interesting, it certainly did spark um, the need to get ahead of that number. Interestingly enough, in uh, there's been a lot of topic of whether the ban on foreign ownership will include recreational properties. I have to tell you, the legislation, the regulations have not been uh, given out. So we still are unsure of what um, the foreign uh, ownership is going to contain in that package. But it was obvious. And the Canadian dollar to the U.S. dollar right now, certainly, if you look at that uh, results of that survey, how many of them were, you know, looking at the the benefits of using the U.S. dollar to purchase Canadian property right now.
1: That dollar is around, uh, well, our dollar is about 74 and a bit uh, American. So really, that's a big advantage when Americans come up to Canada. But uh, my experience in the past with uh, friends and relatives who are Americans is quite often they don't even realize how far their dollar goes uh, when it's like this. Um, is a dollar a big factor or is it more just uh, these new federal rules?
2: I think the new federal rules were more of a factor because we, when asked, they said they definitely purchased once they heard the news. But, um, and of course, the benefit they found out when they arrived to purchase was, of course, their dollar was going to go a lot further in Canada than in the United States. And I often think, you know, we've said this, when you look at foreign ownership, I don't think that U.S. citizens often think they're foreigners to Canada. You know, we share a huge border where over 100 you know, most of us live within 100 kilometers of the U.S. Uh, border, so I I think that you know they look at Canada as just such a great neighbor to the north.
1: Well, absolutely, and uh, the Peace Arch actually has uh, something in uh, written out, and I forget the exact wording, but something that uh, reflects that long history of uh, people on both sides of the border having that kinship. Uh, when we talk about some of the hottest areas in the country for Americans, uh, what are we looking at? What areas do they want to come in and buy up recreational property?
2: Interestingly enough, British Columbia is uh, 32% of them want to go to the province of British Columbia. Surprisingly, 43% want to go to Ontario, so lots of recreational properties there, 40% to Quebec, uh, 17% to Alberta, um, and percent to Atlantic Canada so really straight across the country they're interested you know the prairies even at 16 percent they're really interested in Canada and uh you know obviously when you look at 32 percent of them you know when you when asked which province they want to uh, have a recreational property choose British Columbia and no surprise there great province you know lots of mountains lots of great ski places lots of recreational
1: Is it this image of us uh, being kind of like, uh, you know, having the cabin in the woods, the grizzly bears, the Mounties and Red Surge? um, Is it still that that uh, hangs in there and is uh, so much of a big sell for Americans?
2: I think it's also the fact that we're a very stable country. You know, you look at the stability of Canada, you look at... You know, the fact that for the most part, you know, we have a very low crime rate across our country. We're we're just a lovely and what can I say? Canadians are the nicest people in the world. Um, and so I think that's part of it. And I think the fact, you know, you look at our great ski resorts here, you know, straight across, you know, whether you're in Quebec, whether you're in Ontario, whether you're in Alberta or British Columbia great skiing. And, you know, snow is always um, important. And uh, I think th- we do have that ability to have more space, you know, with a lesser population in Canada. It means that when you do buy here, you do have the ability to buy something that gives you a little more space.
1: You know, Pauline, uh, when I think about uh, cross-border, I Think about some of the recreational properties that Canadians have in the States. My parents had a place down at Mount Baker when I was growing up, which is just about an hour and a bit's drive from uh, the Vancouver area. Uh, And a lot of people I know continue to have recreational property in Phoenix and Hawaii, um, uh, parts of California like Palm Springs. Is that going to disappear? Has that side of it going the other way uh, now tapered off?
2: Well, surprisingly, I've always said this, as long as there's snow in Canada, there'll be snowbirds in the United States. So it's it's interesting. I actually, on a, a side note, asked a U.S. realtor in Florida whether they were seeing our Canadians because, of course, advantageous if you own a property in the South to sell off with the dollar the way it is. And they said, no, Canadians are still holding on to the U.S. properties. And I think... We've come out of two and a half years where cross-border uh, movement was very restricted. You know, um, it wasn't that easy to uh, cross into the United States or Canadians, uh, Americans to cross over to us. And I think that's part of it. You know, hopefully, we're in a new world this winter that uh, you know sees us uh, movement back and forth across the border. And I think that sparked. Um, U.S. citizens to look at Canada because they haven't been here for a while. If you did want to buy a recreational property, it was difficult um, to come here the last couple of years. So I think now that's, you know, it's it's like the combination of the dollar, the fact that we're about to have a two-year ban on uh, foreign ownership, and the fact that in all hope, we are coming out of a pandemic that opens our borders a little bit more
1: easily. So trifecta, certainly a uh, big combination and powerful one there. Pauline, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. Well, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks, Bruce, for having me. Bruce Claggett filling in for Mike Smith. Well, 2021 was really a frenzy in the housing market real estate. 2022 this past year had at the start of it a bit of a peak, actually quite a big peak, and then right across the country, the valley and the dip. So it's been up and down. Hard to predict, but right now we are still in a bit of a down. But is that going to be the case heading into 2023, or are things going to balance right out? Well, Dane Idle is the founder and lead analyst at Idle Insights. Thanks so much, Dane, for joining us this morning and trying to make sense of this. You've got some findings. Dane, what are they?
3: Good morning, Bruce. Great to be on the show again. Um, Yeah, so exactly as you said, uh, beginning at 2022, we actually found our market peak in April with the detached market right at 2.312 million. Since then, we've fallen off 14%. That low initially came in August of this year. We saw a little bit of consolidation with the prices coming back up over the last couple of months. However, the most recent data that just came out this morning for the November average sale price brought the value back down to 1985000 which is, again, off 14% from the market peak in April. What we're anticipating here, or what we believe has occurred, was a lot of people had the pre-approvals for their mortgages. So a lot of folks were getting into the market without having to qualify at a higher rate. So that was a bit of an impetus to force people into that market. As we continue to go forward with increasing mortgage rates, we're expecting another leg lower for the market next year which should signal some opportunities to enter into the market for potential buyers that were sidelined just because of the equity fall that will continue to transpire into 2023.
1: I guess those that uh, wanted to get into the market the most uh, actually did or started to uh, take the steps to do it. Uh, when you talk about some of the opportunities coming in and a bit of a stabilization, I guess, at a lower price right now, Um Is it going to be those that uh, are really those secondary people that uh, really weren't as hungry? What are we looking
3: at? Well, you know what's interesting about the secondary market, let's say, right? That was really the market that took off from basically July of 2020 really until the beginning of 2022, so those secondary markets, the markets that were below $1 million, uh threshold, really were the ones that grew the most in the average sale price. We're seeing those markets get hit the hardest because they grew the fastest. So as we like to say, water can and does actually run uphill, but as soon as it finds a gully, it will level out. That's what we're experiencing in these secondary or tertiary markets. So the Fraser Valley, the Chilliwack markets, Surrey, Langley, they've fallen off substantially from their market highs. Whereas you see, look at maybe more of the um, typical market leaders like a Vancouver West or a West Vancouver. Those markets didn't really participate as much during the market rally. But those markets have certainly not fallen off to the same degree because they didn't experience the same rises throughout the last year and a half or so.
1: You know, Dane, when we talk about anything to do with markets, uh, usually it's supply and demand demand. And uh, that works into prices, right? But that's not necessarily or quite often not the case when it comes to real estate. Because uh, I guess as people hold on to real estate longer or uh, sit on the sidelines for longer, what are you seeing right now with a connection between supply, demand and price?
3: Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. We do a proprietary study on the supply demand uh, for the real estate markets across uh, Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley market. And in June of this year was the first time since, again, so I believe it was the beginning of 2020 that we're seeing that uh, crossover. So supply is actually above demand in the detached market, and it has been since June of this year. For the condo market, inversely, it's actually just transpired in September of this year where we saw that supply outweigh demand. So that is um, a leading indicator that prices will continue to fall off when supply is above demand. Once we start to level off here, likely closer to the middle of 2023 is what we're anticipating. Then you'll start to see the supply start to um, dwindle, let's say, or the demand really pick up. Maybe when the mortgage rates start to stabilize or the increases become less and less, you'll start to see people enter back into the market because the pain will be felt by the sellers. They will have to take their medicine and basically sell at a lower cost if they do indeed need to sell. You brought up an interesting point. With all the equity raises over the last, I mean, even over 10 years, not everybody is in a position where they're forced to sell. However, that is something that's going to be coming up. We're already starting to see some foreclosures come to the market, and that will be another reason why investors start to step in. Interesting, again, with this condo market switch, with the removal of rental restrictions, we're already seeing investors come up to the plate and say, you know what, we're actually going to be investing in that condo market. So you'll probably see a bit of a blip here in a, an anomalistic data points for the next several months in the condo market because there will be an opportunity for investors to purchase into buildings that they previously could not. So we'll have more properties come to the rental market as a result of investors buying multiple properties at the same time. So it's going to be a bit of an interesting market with the separation between the asset classes from the detached and the condo going forward in the rest of this year and even the beginning of next.
1: Dane, you paint a really uh, detailed and sometimes a little bit of a scary uh, picture. Thanks so much, though, for joining us.
3: My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you, sir.
1: Mike is off. Bruce Claggett filling in. Good to have you with us. So the green light has been given in Surrey to the Harmony Project after a tough two years what is a Harmony project? Well, it is a proposed six-story building providing about 91 affordable housing units and supportive rental units to a blend of lower-income, senior, and developmentally disabled residents. It's much like another project uh, that's already in place called Chorus, and uh, it's all the brainchild of unity, and uh, which has been the nonprofit organization promoting inclusion and these type of projects. Doug Tennant is the CEO of Unity and joins us now. Good morning, Doug.
4: Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, it's uh, good to have you with us. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about Harmony and the need in this community, this area of South Surrey for it.
4: Yeah, so Harmony is, uh, as you've described, an affordable and inclusive apartment with 91 rental homes uh, to be built on five and a half acres that uh, we own uh, in South Surrey, close to transit, close to shopping, really a beautiful location uh, for housing for affordable apartment. Um, The need for Harmony I hear about on a weekly basis from people living in the community, Uh, who are being evicted from basement suites, who are living in tenuous housing. The housing needs report from the city of Surrey also uh, says that this is a a desperate need. Right now, there's a need for 20,000 below market rental homes in the city of Surrey. And frankly, we're just not keeping up with that uh, demand.
1: Doug, when we talk about Surrey, and Surrey is so diverse, when people uh, mention Surrey that aren't from Surrey, I often kind of cringe because uh, they paint Surrey with one big, broad brush. But there are some very affluent areas of Surrey and some areas that really are not affluent at all. Um, but this area in South Surrey is one I would kind of think would be better off, and I'm surprised that there is a need for a second project here. Is that because me, along with many others, are a little naive?
4: Uh, Well, Bruce, I wouldn't call you naive, but I I would definitely say that uh, uh, the need for affordable housing has shifted over the last 20 years. Uh, Typically, um, we are seeing people with, uh, you know, full-time jobs uh, who can no longer afford, definitely not to purchase a home, and to rent a home uh people in south syria being priced out of their communities as well in the semi town center core uh there definitely are a lot of seniors and others who are living on fixed incomes um and the research we've done has shown that too that uh there are people living in low income on low income in our area. And, uh, many of them are being evicted when the basement suites, for example, they living are being sold. The co-op housing they're living in is going to be remodeled. Um, so, so there really is a desperate need. And, and we believe that, um, you know, people of all incomes have the right to live in any area of the city. And, and the fact of the matter is we've owned this five and a half acre property for since 1983 um, and and have supported people uh, on low income and uh, medium income to live in really nice uh, townhomes and a small apartment there. Uh, but we understand that there is this desperate need for housing. And that's what caused us to 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 start the Harmony Project.
1: We're talking with Doug Tennant, who is the CEO of Unity. That's a nonprofit organization promoting inclusion, and the organization behind um, behind um, well behind Harmony. Uh, when we talk about Harmony, it has been a difficult couple years dealing with uh, Surrey Council, hasn't it, Doug?
4: Yeah, it's been it's been really difficult, and and um, I want to really express clearly that the community has always been broadly in support of harmony. It was the most supported affordable housing project in BC's history when it was brought forward uh, last July, uh, but rejected uh, by council. Uh, So we've never felt doubt that the community and businesses uh, want this project to happen. Um, but I think what needed to happen was a shift in perception and an understanding that affordable housing is actually something that's desperately needed, and it's actually for people that live within the community. Unlike a private development where it might be people retiring from Vancouver or foreign investors or uh, you know, people from outside of Surrey, uh, the housing we build is, is really for people who are living in Surrey but are being priced out of the communities where they grew up.
1: So, Doug, where do we stand now? What are the challenges and the timelines that we're dealing with?
4: So, um, you know, the biggest hurdle has been has been passed, thanks to our community and the support that we got, and uh, Mayor Locke and uh, full council. It was uh, unanimously approved. So, right now, we're basically getting our band back together again. Uh, we'll be working with Catalyst uh, nonprofit, Catalyst Community Developments. Um, and getting our architect construction back together, uh, new pricing uh, on the project. It's likely going to be a little bit more expensive now, uh, but we are dedicated and we've heard from our community and we will get Harmony built.
1: Some people may have had their interest peaked that may have not have already been uh, peaked before. If they want more information about the project, uh, where can they go?
4: So they can go to our website at www.unity forall.com. Um, and one more thing that I'd like to add is, is one of the things that made our project successful was a documentary that uh, we produced uh, that allowed the voice of Lauren Simpson, a young lady, a, a, um, a community champion, who happens to have Down syndrome, who lived two blocks away from where we're going to build Harmony. And her story, a documentary called Lauren's Story, Uh, showed the human side of the of the uh, impact of the rejection of the project and she is to be commended for being a voice that really helped move this project forward.
1: Is there a link to her story on your
4: website? So uh, uh, if uh, people go to YouTube and do a search for uh, Lauren's story uh, they should be able to find that documentary.
1: Perfect thank you so much Uh, Doug Tennant uh, always a pleasure.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much, Bruce. Appreciate this conversation.
1: And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith in the last few minutes at a school in Richmond. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Premier David Eby making a big announcement when it comes to child care. And uh, along with the fact that uh, $10 a day child care is on track for 2026. The announcement means that licensed child care fees will be reduced by 50% for those who are eligible. And a few other things coming with that announcement. Here's David Eby, by the way, making that announcement.
0: I still remember the moment when she told me uh, that she was pregnant. It was a very special and important moment for our family. And we reflected on how it was going to change our lives and how exciting it was. And literally the next sentence we said is, we got to get on childcare care wait We know that access to high quality, affordable childcare unlocks opportunity for families. And it's not just good news for families with young kids, it's good news for everybody, because it helps us respond to the labor shortages we're seeing in our economy, it helps people get to work to build our economy, it helps stressed out families, and it helps build our entire province, and as you heard from the Prime Minister, our entire country. So our government got to work on our goal, which is to make accessible, affordable, high quality, inclusive childcare a core service that every family in our province can rely on. Richmond Day School, where we are today, is a great example of the multiple pieces of our child care plan all working together to deliver for families. We've been working hard to expand access to licensed child care through the new Spaces Fund that we set up. Like many centers in BC, this one, where, where we are here today, received funding to create more urgently needed child care spaces. Now, uh, spaces mean nothing unless there are early childhood educators who are there supporting the kids uh, that need those services. So early childhood educators working in this center have also seen their wages enhanced by up to $4 an hour. Our investments in early childhood educator wage enhancements have helped bring the median wage in BC for these vital workers to $26 an hour.
1: That's Premier David Eby speaking in Richmond right next to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making a big announcement about licensed child care, the reduction down to 50% of the cost for parents. So that's a big announcement also that child care will be... On track for $10 a day by 2026 in BC. So that is also one of those big announcements. Parents saving about $1,000 a month. All that coming in the last few minutes. And that announcement being made in Richmond with Justin Trudeau right next to David Eby. There are so many other issues that are still making the news today. And we'll touch on some of those, including... The snow in the forecast even more this evening and uh, well some people around the lower mainland when it comes to the various municipalities talking about better planning for that snow. Linda Annis is a city councillor in Surrey and is one of those who is talking about a snow plan and a snow summit. Linda good morning. Uh, Pleasure to talk with you again.
5: Good morning to you, Bruce.
1: What's the idea here that we started hearing about uh, after the fiasco? And I know you were caught in part of this uh, coming back on Tuesday uh, into Surrey. Um, What's the feeling of the need and what do we need for us? What's the need for a snow summit?
5: Well, I think one thing that was loud and clear to me, and I got caught in it, I was uh, stuck in my car for nine and a half hours, so had plenty of time to think about it. We really need to have an integrated approach. We need to have the municipalities and the provincial government and TransLink and other agencies all working together to make sure that we have a proper plan in place uh, for snow removal through the lower mainland and that drivers are prepared uh, to be able to drive home if indeed they get stuck.
1: You know, it's uh, amazing. One of the stories that we ended up hearing was it really depended, uh, especially when it comes to some of the, I shouldn't say side streets, because they're not even side streets. They're just lesser or less important roads or less busy roads, I guess, um, that it was a city to city to city story. And some cities were absolutely fantastic with plowing and others weren't. Uh, was this your observation? Is it your observation and what you're hearing?
5: It is absolutely what I'm hearing. I've received uh, numerous emails from residents of Surrey that are absolutely frustrated. And I know the city was doing the best job that they possibly could, but we need to be more proactive. And, you know, traveling home from Vancouver down to South Surrey, uh, I couldn't find a way to get home. At one point in time, it seemed that uh, every bridge and tunnel was inaccessible. You know, how can that happen? Uh, There needs to be a plan in place. And, you know, seeing... Uh, trolley buses not being able to move because obviously the wires were frozen you know what's the plan to have other bus service in place when these sorts of things happen so that people have the uh, option to be able to take buses home rather than use their cars
1: I think the reality is when you commute you're commuting through different municipalities for sure also different people are responsible for different aspects of your commute and they're almost it's almost like too many chefs in the kitchen isn't it
5: well, it isn't. It's about having that coordination, right? You know, I was uh, in Vancouver. I passed through Delta. Richmond uh, was on you know the provincial highways back and in, then into Surrey. So getting a coordinated approach so that we have the best possible outcomes, I think, is absolutely important. Far too many accidents were getting reported and, you know, potentially lives could have been lost. And we need to do a much better job.
1: So Brad West in Port Coquitlam, yourself, uh, a few others calling for this summit. uh, Tell me about that. What do you hope to get?
5: Well, we're hoping to bring in all levels of government uh, to meet together, the muni- all the municipalities in the metro region, as well as TransLink, as well as uh, organizations like ICBC, and put a plan together so that we can be proactive uh, in our approach uh, to these snow conditions. We know that we are having climate change and we're getting colder winters, and you know, are the municipalities budget enough? Um, do we have enough equipment? Are drivers properly prepared? What are we doing about um, ensuring that people have proper snow tires on their car there's so many questions that need to be answered and we need to work together on it
1: let me hit you with uh, something that comes up from time to time but it's something that struck me as I'm thinking about this coordination or lack thereof that is this old topic of amalgamation we still have so many different municipalities and so many different systems of doing things You have Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows, two different areas. You have Surrey and White Rock, two different areas. The Langley's two different areas. And certainly when it comes to North Vancouver, you have the district and the city. And it goes on and on and on. Is this not another example of maybe time to rethink amalgamation? When we have a snowstorm like this, we see a lack of coordination between different areas?
5: Well, I think there's an opportunity for municipalities and cities to work together without uh, necessarily amalgamating, but uh, we need to have that dialogue on a regular basis, and we need to be proactive in it, not reactive, and I think that's really the question at play right now is how can we all work together together? collaboratively and including um, other services like TransLink, you know, like the policing agencies, like ICBC, to ensure that everybody is safe uh, when we get these uh, severe winter conditions. We know that drivers uh, and residents in in, uh, the Lower Mainland aren't prepared, you know, as our fellow Easterners are, and we need to, you know, have the tools in place to make sure that we can stay safe.
1: Linda Annis, thank you so much for uh, spending some time and joining us as uh, many of us are still looking forward to and hoping that we don't get a repeat or anything near that uh, late this afternoon as uh, more snow, not that much snow, but a little bit of snow is in the forecast for later on today. Thank you so much, Linda.
5: My pleasure as always, Bruce.